0: Hey, welcome in addicts. Patrick Allen here for another Arrowhead Addict podcast. We got training camp going on. We got uh, all kinds of news. It's a big show today. I'm super fired up and pumped about it. We've got two really special guests who are going to be joining us here. In just a few minutes. The first is, and you've heard me talking about this the last couple of weeks on the podcast, Jason Reed from, from ESPN, uh, He's his new book, Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. Uh, just finished this. It's absolutely fantastic read. It's available now. There's a link in the description. We'll talk about it in a little bit with Jason himself. It's a great book. You know, I know you guys, uh, and by the way, happy birthday to our guy, Matt Verter, and my co-host, I know he's watching on his vacation. That was the one thing that he said he wanted to make sure that he did on his vacation was watch me talk Chiefs for about 60 minutes solo. Um, happy birthday, Matt Verterham. Hope you're enjoying it wherever you are. But this book that Jason wrote is really interesting. And you guys all know Matt. He he uh Vertoram is a big NFL history guy. I haven't been as much, um but reading this book was really fascinating. I'm going to talk a little bit about it later. There's a lot of great NFL history in there and the history of black players and black quarterbacks in the league and what they've had to go through. So I'm really excited to have Jason on the show. He's going to be joining us at around 4:15 and um we'll get into it with him. We'll chop it up. Then later uh, after we talk to Jason I, I, I I'm probably as excited about this as I've been for a podcast in a while Arrowhead addict co-founder and my my mentor in the in the sports media space Adam best is going to be joining us. I don't know if um, I don't know how many of you guys remember Adam I don't know how many of you have been a lo- around long enough to remember Adam. But um, he started Arrowhead Addict. Uh, this was before there was a really a fan-sided network. It was just Arrowhead Addict. And he started it with his brother, Zach, way, way, way back in 2007 on April Fool's Day is when the, the Herm Edwards was the coach. King Carl was still around. So super excited to have him kind of come out of retirement, if you will, and join me to talk a little Chiefs. I've been after him uh, to get him on this podcast for a while. So he's going to join us here at about 430. And we're gonna Going to talk about training camp we're going to talk about orlando brown jr coming back frank clark the wide receivers a bunch of other topics so before we get to that though i do have to let you know that the arrowhead attic podcast is brought to you by the kansas city beer company kc beer co is the largest locally owned brewery in kansas city and it's also the only brewery in kc to focus on german beer styles they actually brew their beer according to the german purity law of 1516 using only four ingredients malt hops, water, and yeast. And it's absolutely delicious. It's an award-winning brewery. They've got a terrific lineup of brews. You guys know this. We talk about them all the time. I'm still hoarding my, uh, my Eisenbach here, uh, but I think it's time to put it in the fridge. It's getting hot out there. So um, look for the red Casey Bierko cartons in your local store and support the Arrowhead Attic Podcast by supporting Casey Bierko. And do us a favor, give them a shout out on Twitter, at Casey Beerco and let them know you heard about their beer on our podcast. Keeps us in business. And so uh, dare to beer different. Please drink responsibly, of course, 21 years and older no funny business all right how's everybody doing out there what's up to everybody in the chat evan warner todd barton what's up lucas robert uh padilla says go chiefs gonzo what's up buddy how you doing all right so i wanted to get into a couple topics before we welcome some of our special guests the first and we're going to talk about this more with adam but orlando brown jr has returned and i wanted to give a quick update I gave like a really, what's up, Oregon fishing? I, I gave a really quick update on the Arrowhead Attic TikTok. If you're not following that, check it out at Arrowhead Attic Pod on Tip TikTok. Um, that's a great way for us to give kind of little quick updates in between podcasts. So, as you know, Orlando Brown Jr. came back and we were getting a lot of noise out of Orlando's camp, which was essentially that, hey, he's willing to hold out. It, this this holdout could go into the season. And we talked about it a little bit on the podcast. And Verteram's contention was, hey, I don't think he's going to miss any games. He's going to play under the franchise tag because this franchise tag is going to pay Orlando Brown Jr. you know more money than he's made in his entire NFL career. And I was making kind of the same point and saying that I didn't think it really made a whole ton, like a lot of sense for Orlando Brown Jr. to not show up to to training camp, unless he just really, like nobody likes training camp, I get it. But to sit out games, it just, it didn't make any sense. His leverage is gone. He either has to play under the franchise tag or he doesn't play and that means he doesn't get paid. And so, why sit out training camp? And I was worried about the risk of injury if Orlando Brown, just to make a point, because at that point, that's all he really could do, right? It'd just be to punish the Chiefs by not showing up to training camp and make them worry and make them sweat it out and make them see his value. But they they know his value. And Orlando Brown Jr. knows his value. He played the cards he had, sat out for a minute, and now he's back at camp. And this is really good news for the Chiefs. And I'm interested to hear all of your thoughts on it in the chat. So let me know what you think. But, you know, long run, this is the CBA There's nothing the players can do about it. They have to deal with the franchise tag. It's a thing. So for Orlando Brown Jr. to get into camp early, now we know that the Chiefs have their offense is probably going to look a little bit different this year. They're going to be doing some things differently. They may run the ball more. They may lean on this talented offensive line a little bit more. It's good for Orlando Brown Jr. to get in there at camp because if he doesn't feel like the Chiefs were offering him what he wanted this year, well, guess what? he's going to get paid handsomely this year I'm not saying it's fair I'm sure he'd love the long-term security but he's got an opportunity this season to go out there and say hey I'm a top five or a top three tackle in the league maybe the Chiefs think he's around number 10 something like that right now and that's what they were offering him I know it was like top right tackle money well hey now he's got a chance to get out there and prove them wrong, and make maybe they'll end up having to pay him a lot more than he would have taken this year, and that'll be you know that's a risk that the Chiefs have to be willing to take. So for Orlando Brown to get back out there early, so that he can perform well, and I think everybody here, nobody wanted to overpay Orlando Brown Jr., but I think everybody here would have been you know glad uh, would be glad to to pay him uh, top three tackle money if he's a top three tackle. Uh, let's see what you guys are saying in the chat. Oregon Fishing says. Glad OBJ came back early. That extra time will pay off. I always want to call him OBJ too, but I feel like Beckham just sort of claimed that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. Can we call him OBJ like here among friends? Clint says, dude has a lot to prove. Yeah, I think so. I think he's he is a very, he's a good tackle. He is a solid tackle for the Chiefs right now. He's not great. Uh, he is good. He brings a lot to the table. There's nobody that I could think that they could replace him with. I am glad he's there, and I hope that he takes the opportunity this year. He's going to get paid a lot, and he excels. Cliff says, not happy with how all that went down. The Chiefs should have paid him in the first place. You do not play around with your left tackle – when you have a Hall of Famer quarterback. That's an interesting point, Cliff. I mean, it, it, it's very interesting. Um, look, I think, I I wish they would have gotten the deal done right after they traded for him, but the Chiefs are playing a leverage game here, right? They don't have to because of things like the franchise tag. So, you know, he had never played left tackle full-time. So maybe, yeah, they, you, know, you traded a first-round pick for the guy, you bring him in, you give him his big contract, and you hope it works out, and then you've got him locked up. In this case, the Chiefs decided, it looks like, to keep playing the leverage game and make him earn a big paycheck. And he's earned a good paycheck, but he hasn't earned the big paycheck yet. So they 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 played their leverage game. They don't want to get locked into uh, a Frank Clark situation, right? Where they're where they're paying for a guy who's not performing up to those standards yet. And so the franchise tags a tool for them. And you know, you can argue about the fairness of its existence, but the players agreed to it, the owners agreed to it, and so Brett Veach is a smart GM and he's gonna he's gonna use it, I think, to his advantage Let's see. We got one more comment from Ready Whip. I hope you all appreciate Orlando Brown Jr. coming back. That would have really sucked not having him for the this gauntlet of a schedule. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think there was ever a chance that he wasn't going to play this year. But the fact that he's not coming back like after the third preseason game or something and then like he's not all stretched out and like he blows out a knee or something, like knock on wood, I would rather have him, you know, ramping up to be ready for the season, working with the trainers, all of those things. I'm sure he was in great shape, but you guys know what I mean. Ready Whip says, I don't like how fans are so quick to rip a player because they don't do what they want. I agree. I am very pro player. You know, I I think they should make as much money as they want. I don't think that they owe the team anything other than to go out there and play their absolute best and fulfilled the terms of their contract. So in this situation he wasn't under contract with the chiefs. Um, and he you know he, he played, I don't blame him for, for playing the leverage game and and doing exactly what he could to try to get what he wanted. It didn't probably work out in this case and he, he's betting on himself this year. He could have a career ending injury or something like that. He's betting on himself. More power to him. I hope he goes out there and, and kicks ass and protects Pat and blows it up in the running game and gets himself a nice big contract next offseason. And the Chiefs don't have to worry about their left tackle for you know the next uh, decade or so. Jason Reed coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but I also want to talk a little bit about Frank Clark, and again, we're going to get to we're going to get to Frank and get Adam Best's opinion on this as well. If you haven't been watching the news out of training camp, I know everybody was kind of annoyed when the Chiefs brought back Frank Clark because they felt like he hadn't lived up to his contract, uh, and he hadn't, right? He hadn't based on what he was getting paid as far as production on the field. But there's some news around Frank Clark. And I've got some good quotes here from from, uh, his interviews this week in training camp. Apparently, after last season was over, uh, Frank had a conversation with Andy Reid, and andy reed was very honest with them and i think a lot of people were surprised that frank was brought back they thought for sure he was going to be cut the chiefs could save money but at the end of the day i don't know that all of the options were there for them to shore up the pass rush in the way that they may want and maybe it was keeping frank clark around and getting him motivated was viewed as one of their better options at least for this past off season so here's what frank said about his conversation with andy reed it was flat out I know the type of player you are. This is Reed speaking now. I know the type of player you are. You know the type of player you are. You didn't show that last season. Flat out, Clark told reporters. Saturday of Reed's message to him. That's, you know, that's kind of the great thing about Andy Reed. Players really like Andy Reid. When we know this, we've heard it. He's a players coach. They feel um, supported by Andy, but Andy is able to build up equity with these players where he can have these frank conversations with him. And you might remember a guy like Todd Haley. Well, Todd Haley, when he was coach of the Chiefs, he tried to be straight up, you know, Bill Parcells to these players and everybody, not everybody, but a lot of players didn't like him. It didn't work out. It caused toxicity in the locker room. So Andy's able to go to to a guy like Frank and basically be like, "You you didn't live up to the expectations we have for you. We've got big goals around here. And I don't know if he said this exactly, but like, if you want to be back here, we need to see something for you. And to Frank's credit, he took that information to heart. Here's what he said. I stopped drinking liquor. Alcohol is a big factor in a lot of things as far as weight. That cut, it is all sugar. So at the end of the day, I stopped drinking liquor right after the season, honestly. It was February when I was sick, having stomach problems and gastrointestinal problems, Frank Clark said. I haven't had any issues since I stopped drinking liquor and it started making more sense. As I'm going on, I'm training. I feel my body responding to me. I'm able to get up. I'm able to work at all times of the day, all times of night. It was a commitment I made. I was drinking liquor to the point where as a young kid coming into the league, it's normal coming out of college. I went to Michigan. I went to a big party school. I enjoyed it when I did it. It's fun, you know? After a game, times in between, at some point you've got to grow up. I've got three kids. I've got kids looking at me every day. My six-year-old daughter looking at daddy to make the right decisions. I can't afford to be nowhere drunk, nowhere missing days, missing anything important. I've got too many important dates coming up in my life. I mean, I think that's pretty outstanding uh, to hear uh, from Frank Clark. He wanted to make improvements. He felt like some of the things, he cut out red meat. Uh, He lost weight. I think he came into camp about 10 pounds lighter than he was. So very excited for Frank. And the reports early out of camp is that Frank is looking good. He's looking faster coming out of his breaks. Um, so credit to Frank for making those ch- changes. Credit to Andy Reid for being Frank with Frank and giving him uh, you know, some motivation to make some changes and maybe try to extend his career in Kansas City. And uh, I think we can all agree if Frank Clark is the, fr- the best Frank Clark he can be this year, it's really going to help this Kansas City Chiefs defense who needs veterans and who need a pass rush. All right. I'm really excited. It's time. I set this up for you early in the show, but we've got a special guest here to talk about his new book. And we welcome Jason Reed, senior NFL writer for ESPN and Anscape, formerly The Undefeated. Anscape is a Black-led media platform dedicated to creating, highlighting, and uplifting the diverse stories of Black identity. Jason is here to talk to us about his outstanding new book, Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. You know, I've just finished the book. I've been reading it for a couple of weeks now. It's it's just absolutely excellent. Um, and I know you've probably been making the yeah making the making the rounds and 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 promoting it. How are you
3: holding up? Oh, you know what? I mean, hey, this is what you have to do. And and the the thing that's so encouraging and really very gratifying is when people tell you that they that they've read the book and they like it. And um, you know, you 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 put so much time and effort into something like this, and people trust you with their stories you first and foremost want to tell their stories in a way where you, you have then rewarded that trust and you hope that people like it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And, and I was wondering as I was reading it, because it's very clear that so much research went into this, you know, I'm sure, especially for, for some of the the historical stuff and the early things in the book Um, what inspired you to write the book in the first place? And then how long did it take you to
3: complete it? Well, so back in 2019, Uh, Most football fans know that the NFL was commemorating its 100th season. And I was having some conversations with some people and it struck me that black quarterbacks, who for most of NFL history had been the most marginalized group for, for decades, generations, they weren't even allowed to play the position. Black quarterbacks in college couldn't play in the NFL, weren't allowed to. And then it hit me that going into that season, you know, Patrick Mahomes, as a first year starter, threw 50 touchdown passes and won the league MVP award. Lamar Jackson got in there for Joe Flacco late in the season, turned, turned the season around for the Baltimore Ravens, and he was going into his first full season as a starter. Patrick Mahomes was going into his second full season as a starter. You had Dak Prescott, who was established in Dallas, Russell Wilson, who was established in Seattle, obviously he had already won a Super Bowl, and Kyler Murray was the number one overall pick in that draft. So I just started thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, if this thing breaks right, Black quarterbacks could achieve things, I mean, collectively as a group that they never have before in the history of the game. And as it turns out, Lamar Jackson, in his first full season as starter, was the unanimous winner of the AP uh, NFL MVP award. He joined Tom Brady as the only quarterbacks to be unanimous winners. I think people in Kansas City know Patrick Mahomes led the Chiefs to the to their first Super Bowl victory in fifty years, and he was the. Super Bowl MVP. Russell Wilson had a great year. Dak Prescott had a great year. Kyler Murray was the offensive rookie of the year, the AP offensive rookie of the year. So it just, as it turned out, it was an unprecedented year in the in the hundredth season of the NFL that Black quarterbacks, this incredibly marginalized group throughout the game's history, had risen to this place in power and in the hundredth season did things they had never done throughout the history of the game. So after the season, I was approached about writing a book, um, but I didn't want to write a book on the season. I mean, I thought I I'd already done that, not in a book form, but, you know, in doing this whole series of whole year. So what I really wanted to do was examine, okay, Patrick Mahomes at that point was the consensus number one player in the game. Now, you can argue he's the first quarterback or the second quarterback now, but he was the number one player in the game. Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, all these guys, Colin Murray, Dak Prescott. So I really wanted to write a book on explaining, okay, how this rise took place and what it means in a bigger context about society. And as far as how long it took me, I mean, it took me two years. Um, I... You know, I took book leave for my job at my day job. I'm a, a senior writer at Anscape and ESPN, senior NFL writer. And um seventy to seventy five interviews and about eighty thousand words later, we have our rise of the black quarterback, what it means for America.
0: Well, congratulations on it. And I know this is your first book, is that correct? That is correct, yes. That's awesome. Um, you know, so early in the book, I'm not I'm not like super studied up on on history of the NFL. so I not only did I find the individual stories really interesting but I just found a lot of interesting details about how the league got started and some of the things that went into it. but early in the in the book you spent a great deal of time talking the reader through the history of pro football, some of the experiences of the early black pioneers that played in the league and you particularly focus on Fritz Pollard's contribution and Fritz Pollard, the third's efforts, to get his grandfather into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Pollard was the first black player, first black quarterback, first black All-Pro, the first black coach. And yet when his grandson phoned Hall of Fame voters, many of them knew very little about Pollard and his contributions to the game. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about uh, why that was? Yeah, well, I mean,
3: Pollard's story was largely lost to history. You know, he, he as, as you, you know, so correctly pointed out, he was the first of so many things when the NFL started back in 1920 and he had this great rivalry with Jim Thorpe the great native american athlete and the star of the 1912 olympics and the first year you know he 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 celebrated for his success and and the rivalry with Jim Thorpe but you know, what happens in the NFL is is there's a 12-year ban from 1934 uh, to 46. There are no black players in the game. And what happened was the Great Depression in America, the feeling among the owners was, why are we giving these jobs to black men? And the emergence of Red Grange, you know, the, the great college star from Illinois who came into the league, it gave owners this white star that they could market around. So the league really didn't want to have anything to do with black players. So really, we see in 1933, there's some, a couple black players, only two left, And then for 12 years, none. And so Fritz Pollard, he wasn't someone who was celebrated as the league was growing in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, to to this 800-pound gorilla that it is now. Like, his story just wasn't important. Jim Thorpe made the Hall of Fame. Fritz Pollard didn't until many, many years later. And when uh, Fritz Pollard's grandson, Fritz Pollard III, was on this campaign to try to help get his grandfather in the Hall of Fame, When he would talk to Hall of Fame voters, they didn't know of him because Fritz Pollard was written about in the black press at the time, the Negro presses. It was known at the, the the newspapers that would cover the NFL, and, and when I say cover, it's not like the coverage today, because the NFL wasn't the, the national pastime. It was Major League Baseball, which completely dwarfed the NFL, but there really weren't accounts of Fritz Pollard in what we would know as the mainstream media today. It was really in the in the Negro press and the Black press. That's where he was written about.
0: Yeah, I found that really, um, uh, I guess, not terribly surprising, but that really stuck out to me to me that was the section in the book where, you know, the, Fritz Paul third would call these Hall of Fame voters and they, and they would call him back because they'd be like, I can't find anything about your grandfather. And he'd say, well, here's where you need to look because they weren't writing about him. And then they would look go and, and read the black publications. And they were like, did you know that your grandfather did it? And they were all excited. And it's just, it, it, I just thought it was such a, such a succinct example of just like, you know, glaring one of the things that, that, that these black players had to face on their march to to progress. And that was another thing that you mentioned was the the fact that there was this 12, 13-year ban. So, you know, and this was something I did not know. I would have thought just if you said, well, how'd the history of the NFL go? My guess would have been, Yeah, you know, so like uh, the country was a lot more racist back then. It probably took players of color a while to start working their way into the league. But I was really surprised to find that players of color helped build the very early foundation of the NFL. And then they just cut them out of it in 1933. For twelve or thirteen years, and you write in the book. I mean, I was angered and shocked uh, at that. And and you write in the book that there was no documented proof that the owners conspired to set up a color barrier. But then you had owners like Art Rooney uh, of the Steelers and George Hollis of the Bears denying it. I mean, is there any doubt in your mind that this was intentional?
3: No, not at all. I mean, I, I think that just the, just the the fact that you know years later pe- executives were asked about this oh there was no racial animus no nothing like that i mean it's just not credible that there we, we know that there were many 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 black players during that period who would have been highly successful in the nfl i mean we know that it, and you know one of the things i put in the book about the fact that kenny washington this great um running back out of ucla actually was a backfield made of uh, jackie robinson who broke the color barrier in baseball the modern day color barrier like George Halas wanted to sign Kenny Kenny Washington, but he couldn't do it because the other owners didn't want him to do it. You, you know, it, you can't. It, it's I know it's very hard for people to understand what a different time this was, but the the owners were so united in not having these black players that they they were putting that even over the possible like financial success that, that they could have by by having them. Now they, they wanted to cater to white to the white fan base, to, to the white customer. And at the time they just felt the white customer would not come and watch black players and would be offended. And now we're talking about after the great depression, as we get into the fifties, they just felt that, well, no, you know, n- you know, no, excuse me. Uh, in the late, the early forties, they just felt that they would not be wanted.
0: Yeah. It, 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 and we should probably get to, uh, you know, our listeners are probably anxious too, to hear a little bit about the section about Patrick Mahomes, you know following the murder of of George Floyd by a police officer now Patrick Mahomes stood up with with fellow NFL players and said that black lives matter and you know Mahomes risked a lot by doing so after we saw just i mean it was just 2016 when when Colin Kaepernick was was basically run out of the league and blackballed for for taking a stand against pre- police brutality but Mahomes unlike Kaepernick at, at the time and you mentioned this was widely viewed as as the best quarterback in the NFL was becoming the face or was the face of the NFL. How important was it that Mahomes spoke up uh, and what positive changes
3: did this bring about? Mahomes' importance in speaking up is is immeasurable. I I mean, we got to remember that after that 2018 season, it wasn't just that he won the MVP award, the league MVP award. It was the matter in which he did it. Like, you know, I remember I was at the draft um, the year he was, that he was drafted. And um, I, I'd known his agent Lee Steinberg. And so I got some time with Patrick before the draft. And, and I just remember I I wrote this story and people were commenting that this guy's going to be a bust. You know, he, he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't play the right way. I mean, this, I mean, you know, it was it was really just like you think back about it now. How how people were really thinking the Chiefs blew it on this draft pick. Well, yeah. come you know, come two thousand and eighteen, no look passes, fifty touchdown passes, and if uh, and I'm and I hate to do this because I don't want to get Chiefs fans upset and bring back bad memories. But if D four doesn't jump sides, you know, you, you could have been looking at back to back Super Bowls. So then the next year. He leads the Chiefs to three double-digit come-from-behind victories in winning the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl MVP. So that offseason, there is no question. Patrick Mahomes is the guy. And, you know, I remember at the Super Bowl in Miami, he was asked a question about being a black quarterback. And he gave such a thoughtful answer about it that, hey, look, yeah, you know, my my dad is black and my mom is white and black quarterback. But like, you know, what I represent shows that kids can accomplish whatever they want to do. in it. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's really a thoughtful answer. So uh, George Floyd is killed by police officers in Minneapolis. He's watching Patrick, you know, he he talked to me for the book. He's watching this on TV and he feels like he feels compelled to do something, but we got to remember who he is now. Like, his platform is huge, but he has a lot to lose too, because with the potential backlash. And like you mentioned, Colin Kaepernick only a few just it, we were just a few years removed from Kaepernick's career ending. Now, the difference between Colin Kaepernick and Patrick Mahomes is that Colin Kaepernick was a successful NFL quarterback. I mean, we can debate how many teams he could have started for and you know, whether or not how how good he was, but he was he was a good NFL quarterback. He was a starting NFL quarterback more than capable. Patrick Mahomes was the best NFL quarterback. If Colin Kaepernick had been as good as Patrick Mahomes, I do believe he probably would have still been in the league, even with what he did and how much he angered team owners. But Patrick Mahomes did have to think about, well, if I do this, what is this going to do? And I remember talking with him about it. And, you know, he, he told me he went through the process of like, yeah, this could be risky, but ultimately he decided he needed to be involved in a the video. There were a lot of stars in that video, okay? But Patrick Mahomes being in that video changed everything, and Patrick Mahomes in that video said "Black Lives Matter." At that point, the commissioner's office wanted nothing to do with the Black Lives Matter movement. No one, you know, I remember I would talk to sources of mine; they wouldn't even want to like go there. Okay, even though with Kaepernick, what Kaepernick did was force the team owners to come to the table to to do something to persuade the players to stop to stop protesting, and the leagues. Funded these social justice initiatives, but Cap, but but uh, Patrick Mahomes took it a step further and said, "Look, Black Lives Matter." The players in that video went through a list of things they wanted the NFL to do in response to what we were seeing with the George Floyd being killed, and then Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, comes back, and I got to be honest with you, like I was completely shocked. I mean, I. I knew that Roger was in a difficult position because Roger and the owners couldn't be on the opposite side of what Patrick Mahomes was on. It just it just wasn't a, a, a viable position for the league because you have this 24-year-old star, the youngest player to ever have a league, tro- a league MVP award, a Super Bowl MVP trophy, and a Super Bowl at 24 years old. If the league had come out against him, it would have been just catastrophic. So Roger Goodell goes on this video and basically agrees to everything the players want and said, Black Lives Matter. That's when I understood the power of Patrick Mahomes. That's when I understood the power of his platform and his success. And that, and it hit me, like wherever Patrick Mahomes winds up when his career is over, he's already the greatest Black quarterback to ever play. Because the power of what he was able to accomplish, no one else could have done that. Um, and, you know, look, another kind of testament to... Like his success going into that into that second Super Bowl that he led the Chiefs to, you know, I re- I was talking with Tony Dungy about this for the book. Patrick Mahomes is so great; he got everybody to forget that the Chiefs' offensive line was decimated. Like, like it was, it was, you know what I mean? It was like, it was like no one. What Tony Dungy said to me is, yeah, everybody thought, well, Patrick Mahomes will just make it okay, but like football logic just tells you. Like, both of your starting tackles are out. You got backups at at key spots. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes... And I know I'm 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 long winded here, and and I'll tr- I'll try just to get to the end of it. We
0: can listen to anybody talk about Patrick Mahomes for as long okay. as they want. <laughs> okay, yeah,
3: I I, I got to know my audience. You know, in talking, I I talked to so many. Um, I, I'm very appreciative because Patrick gave me time for the book, and I and I didn't. I honestly feel I could not have written this book without without him. Okay, but in talking to the pioneers, guys like Doug Williams, the first quarterback black quarterback to win a Super Bowl in the game's MVP award, Warren Moon, the only black quarterback enshrined in the Hall of Fame, James Shaq Harris, the first uh, black quarterback to start in the Pro Bowl in a playoff game, Um, and, and the late Marlon Briscoe who just passed away. What they all told me separately in my interviews was they always felt that if they just got the opportunity, they being black quarterbacks, to compete not even on a level playing field, but on a playing field that was a little more level, that eventually one of them would rise up and become the greatest quarterback in the league at that time, you know, for, for a moment in time. And what Patrick Mahomes is, is the manifestation of the hope of all the old timers and the pioneers that if they just got an opportunity, one of them would show that a black quarterback could be the absolute best. And that's what Mahomes has done.
0: He certainly has. And I think, you know, as you read the book and the, Mahomes chapter is, is the last chapter before the epilogue. And I think that, it's, it's well-placed, and you really see that as each chapter goes by, the, the next group of players are standing on the shoulders of the, the men that came before them, and, and many of them, some of them started a couple of games at quarterback or didn't even throw a forward pass, but it mattered. It mattered to the people that were hearing about it, that were watching and saying that I could do it too, and then to get to where we are with Patrick Mahomes is, uh, is, is a great sign of project, progress. We know there's more in the coaching ranks, there's a there's a lot more in the executive ranks that still needs to happen, but I just I encourage anybody who's listening right now or listens to this later, check out this book. It's super enlightening. It's 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 really wonderfully written with a lot of care and detail. And um, Jason, I I could I could probably do 45 minutes an hour with you but i know you've got you're on the book tour thank you so much for coming by to talk to us about your book guys the links in the description uh jason again thank you so much for for
3: joining us hey thank you for having me i really appreciate it
0: yeah yeah well hopefully we can get you on again this season and uh talk a little bit more about your work
3: hey listen anytime just call me up i i love talking about the chiefs and mahomes and you know his standing because so much of what he did, and has, and, and has done is is really in, important for the evolution, not just a black quarterback, but for the game.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Jason. Thanks again. Okay, thank Good you. luck with the book. Yeah.
3: Take thank care. Thank you so much. Bye bye.
0: Bye bye. That was Jason Reed of ESPN and AnScape. It it uh, and thank you, Stacy. Uh, looking looking for this book as we speak. Yeah. The links in the description if you guys want to buy. It's just such an it's just such an interesting read all the way through. If you like history, if you like football learning about the history of the game. And, you know, there was so much more I wanted to to ask Jason about, you know, for everything from Warren Moon purposely slowing down on his 40-yard dash to – uh, because of the fear that he would get, they would try to force him to play wide receiver, which had been happening to players uh, for years or other skill position players. You know, stuff about the people being worried about the thinking man's position and that black players couldn't play quarterback or center or guard um, or middle linebacker. There's just such uh, great stuff in here. And it's um, it's about, you know, uh, it's through, through some of their voices in the interviews. So to definitely check it out. All right, let's move on and talk some more Chiefs. I'm really excited to bring on Arrowhead Addict co-founder Adam Best, my mentor in the sports media industry. Adam, you're back, man! It's been I'm back a, a decade of of, yeah. of Adam Bestless Chiefs coverage. Just so th- a little background. Uh, as I mentioned, Adam and his brother started Arrowhead Addict, and around uh, 2007, and then in 2000, at very end of 2009, I came along, saw an opening that Adam and Zach were expanding the business of of Arrowhead Addict to, to become fan sided, to become this great organization that em, uh, employs uh, you know dozens of people today full time, and uh, they kind of you know they couldn't run the chief site anymore. They were they were creating a new business, and I was fortunate enough to be hired to. To, to start working on that website and, and fell in love with this industry and covering the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm eternally, eternally grateful to you, Adam, for everything you did for me and my career. Um, how's it feel, though? It's, it's been that long, December of 2009, since you were regularly uh, talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you miss it?
2: I do miss it, man. I'm, I'm as pumped as Chris Jones in the fourth quarter of the AFC Championship right now. But I have to say, that that interview, that's a tough act to follow. I got I got goosebumps when Jason was talking about about Mahomes and what he yeah. means to the league and uh, we're just so lucky to have that dude and and um, when I was running at Arrowhead Addict with my brother we had Brody Croyle you know we didn't have Patrick <laughs> Mahomes Club. we had we had Brody Croyle we had Tyler Thigpen we had Damon Howard uh, King Carl. Herm uh, Edwards, who I called um, harm, harm at the time. <laughs> I actually liked them being bad. I, I don't know how you guys cover them now, they're so good. But back then you could play arm, uh, armchair GM, you could crack jokes. It, yeah. it was just a different time, but but I walked so you guys could run. I guess
0: that's right. That's right. They stunk most of my tenure on the website as well when I was editor. We made the playoffs once, um, and you're right, Matt when, Castle, so, right? Matt Castle, yeah, Matt Castle, Tony Moiyaki, Dexter McCluster. That was that year, and I'll tell you, like, it is easier to cover them when they're bad because when they're when it's when it I, when it's like it is now. It's Super Bowl or bust, and. That means we take it all like everybody in this podcast. We have fun on the podcast, but we all take it very seriously. And I know you're a listener and a viewer of the podcast and you see us when we get on here after games and we have a loss and we're all frustrated. I'm swearing and cursing and, you know, we're so angry. Back then, it was sort of like I, I made a lot of friends at the bar watching the Chiefs because... You just had to laugh at them. I mean, we often would hum the the Benny Hill theme, you know, because they were so bad. They were such a joke during that period um, with with Romeo Cornell and they just, Tyler, one of my favorite, actually the story that I submitted to get the gig at Arrowhead Attic, one of the stories was that one of my favorite Chiefs moments was that time that Tyler Thigpen caught a pass from Mark Bradley, her touchdown pass. Like, think about that for a second. That was one of my favorite Chiefs memories to that point because it was just so exciting and almost nothing exciting ever happened with that team.
2: Yeah. 10 years ago, this is the worst <laughs> team in the NFL, right? Two wins and just have to feel eternally grateful to Andy Reid who kind of has offered us a path to salvation, you know?
0: Um, oh, that guy. I mean, I had a buddy who was an Eagles fan and, you know, he, he told me, hey, good luck with Andy Reid. He texted me. Actually, he did it on Facebook, so I still have proof of it every year. And he said, "Good luck with Andy. You know, he's not a good coach. All of his success was due to his defensive coordinator." And I will say, though the Eagles, though the Eagles did win a Super Bowl, it was because they had to after they hired Chip Kelly, they had to come back and and, and get an Andy Reid disciple to get it done. And That's right. if I just saw a, a, a graphic on Twitter yesterday about the winningest teams the last ten years, I think it was in the NFL. And the Chiefs were at the very top of the list. And the Eagles were not on the list. So despite the fact that they got a Super Bowl, I think we can all agree. Thank you, Philadelphia, for firing Andy Reid. God bless you.
2: Yeah, I was thinking about it today that Andy Reid, despite all his accomplishments in Philly, will be remembered as a Kansas City Chiefs coach, not a Philadelphia Eagles coach. And I think that's – what a phenomenal career. Yeah, that's a really great point. I hadn't thought of that. Um,
0: But yeah, he's kind of crossed that line of demarcation now. Like he's – He's a Chiefs guy, right? Like, I don't think Tony... No one's ever going to remember Tony Gonzalez as a Falcons guy, right? Um, You know, or or Joe Montana as a Chief. Um, They're going to remember his time with the 49ers. But Andy is definitely a Chiefs guy. He's, He's cemented his legacy. So... If you're just joining us, hit that thumbs up button on YouTube. We appreciate all your support. I especially want to give a shout out to all of our sustaining members of the Arrowhead Attic podcast, uh, who we have a lot of fun with, and our private Discord. If you're interested, check out the link in the description. We're heading into the season. Now's the time to hop on board. If you want a little bit more of a Chiefs community, we're getting ready to fire up our uh, our fantasy football league. Do you want to be in another league? Do you want to be in the, in the Arrowhead Attic members only
2: league? You got, you got the oh, band the it?
0: Oh god, I think I'm gonna <laughs> get kicked
2: kicked out of my house. I'm such a fantasy degenerate. I, yeah, I'll have to run that by my better half.
0: But yeah, yeah, we'll see if we can would, get you. In I would there, like right? it. I would like it. But. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit of Chiefs. Hit that thumbs up button in the YouTube channel. So the Chiefs, I want to talk about their offensive philosophy. Is when you have a guy like Tyree Kill and a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you got to play a certain way. You just have to. You have to try to get the ball. Into Tyree Kill's hands, you got to try to get the ball into Travis Kelsey's hands. And everybody else at that point is an afterthought. Well, that's not the Chiefs that we're looking at this year. They still have Kelsey. Teams know they have Kelsey. He's going to get a lot of attention, a lot of love from defenses this year now that Tyree Kill is gone. Are we, in your opinion, going to see a completely different philosophical approach to the Chiefs offense this year?
2: This is still Andy Reid, right? This is the guy that kind of pioneered the heavy passing in neutral game script situations. So that's who he is. That's his DNA. I don't think we're going to see a dramatic change, but we are going to see a shift. Previously, there's been an emphasis on sort of speed receivers these last few years and a finesse running game. And I think we're transitioning to a more physical receiving core with an equally more physical running game. And what, what was missing last year in the playoffs, I don't think running against Cincinnati would have made that big of a difference if, because Darrell Williams, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, even Jarek McKinnon, I don't see any of those guys as game breakers, right? But Ronald Jones, if you sit back there and drop eight and that guy gets a hole, he'll gash it and take it to the house. And Isaiah Pacheco, I think is another sleeper. You know, I know everyone was obsessed about Darwin Thompson, but this guy reminds me a lot, a lot of Damian Williams because he's, he's a big guy that can catch and he's got elite speed. He's one of the best athletes at the position in the draft. So I, you know, and also with the receivers, I think you're seeing a more diversified attack and it's going to make Mahomes be better. He can't just say, fuck it, Tyreek's down there somewhere anymore, right? right. I think it's yeah. going gonna, gonna to speed up his maturation as, as a thinker and as a processor and as someone who can beat you in a variety of ways.
0: Yeah, I think I'm excited about that. And one thing I noticed early in the offseason, we talked about it here on the podcast, was the size that was starting to appear in the wide receiving core. Like, you know, they, everybody, for the, for the most part, is pretty big. A lot bigger than Tyree Hill. You know, you got you got Therese Fountain. You've got Jody Fortson at tight end. They, you know, Josh Gordon's a big guy. They bring in Christian Watson, another big guy. Um, MVS Just, Justin Watson. I think Christian Watson's in in Green oh, Bay. Yes, right? Justin Watson. My bad. Um, so you know, do you think an MVS, known as a blocker, like known as a as a as a skilled blocker? Are we looking at Andy getting back a little bit to? his west coast roots where all right fine you're going to try to take away the explosive plays from patrick mahomes we're going to bring in guys where we can throw a ton and i've seen i've heard this coming out of training camp people who are observing a ton of slants more out routes more screens so you get a guy like pacheco who can catch the ball out of the backfield supposedly clyde edwards helaire can we've never been able to see it unfortunately but allegedly um, allegedly um Do you think that was part of the the calculus here was we want to drop these balls off. And if teams are going to play us like this, we're going to make them pay. These guys are going to block. They're going to create space for Travis Kelsey and for the dudes underneath.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think with teams sort of crowdsourcing throughout the league, a way to stop Patrick Mahomes and everyone adopting this, this too high defense that kind of stifled the Chiefs at times last year. This is a natural reaction to that. And every great quarterback has to go through this at least one time, if not multiple times. Manning did it, Rodgers did it, Breeze, Brady. And now it's Mahomes' turn. And I think the personnel shift, MVS, uh, you wouldn't know it by looking at him, but he's sort of got suany strength, right? He's a good blocker. He's kind of a physical player. I think Juju's going to be sort of a power slot, maybe a poor man's Cooper Cup. Uh, and I just think it's going to be a different look and it will probably uh, catch the league off guard a little bit. It's going to look different.
0: Yeah, and, and you still have the speed there. I mean, obviously, right, you don't have Tyreek Hill. He's one of one, you can't replace him. But you've got speed with MVS. You've got uh, Nicole Hardman still. Who can help you stretch the field? And so now it's like, okay, we got to take away Tyreek Hill. And maybe you didn't have the other pieces to to do the dink and dunk game as as effectively as you might have wanted to last year. But now you're saying to the teams, all right, pick your poison because we've got guys that can do it underneath, that can run after the catch. We've diversified our running back a little bit. And also we still have guys that can burn you over the top. They're fast. And you know, Mahomes can get them the ball from anywhere on the field. So that's where I think it gets really interesting is that maybe last year the Chiefs just weren't quite prepared for what teams were doing for them. They were trying to add things in the playbook, and they had to learn as they went, and it caused some hiccups. But now they're going to be coming in. They still have all the other stuff that they worked on, the, the spread and, and the vertical passing game. But now they've got a whole offseason to implement these new plays and to really make their their offense uh, multifaceted. And I think you're right about Mahomes. Now Mahomes, it's, it's, he's already great. He's brilliant. He's better than most quarterbacks could ever hope to be. But what... When we fall down, we learn. And I think this is exciting that as each year goes by and Mahomes sees different things, then he just can continue to adapt. He can continue to learn. He can get sharper. And so if he's able to take what he went through last year, I mean, teams took away everything he liked to do and they still made it to the AFC Championship game and had to have a second half meltdown to not go to the Super Bowl. That's right. What
2: what do you expect out of him this year? I think he's might be MVP because expectations are lower than they've been for him in years. And I think this wide receiving core is being underestimated. No one's yeah. replacing Tyreek, but the number two is now better than the, than the number two last year. You know, Sky Moore and MVS are better than Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle. And I, I don't think national media is considering that. So when he shows up and puts up his usual numbers, I I think it's going to, you know, turn some heads and Tyreek Hill better bring it in Miami because I, I think he's underestimating Pat a little bit. And I think a lot of people are.
0: Chiefs fans are going to be Rose and Tyreek Hill on Twitter all year. I am here for it. It's going to be hilarious. All right. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about those specific wide receivers. Um, yeah. With this remade wide receiving group, they've added MVS Skymore and Juju Smith Schuster. Who are you most excited about and who's going to have the most receiving
2: yards out of that group? I'm going with MVS okay. for a few reasons. So think about green Bay. They run the ball more than Kansas city does. Right, uh, they also have a pretty slow pace. So right there, the amount of potential targets MVS can see is going up. Aaron Rodgers also is semi-psychotic about trusting receivers, and early in his career, MVS had some drop issues. And Aaron is also known for locking on to Devonte Adams, kind of to a fault, as we saw in the playoffs last year. So I think this guy's been underutilized. He's been kind of used exclusively as a lid, a lid lifter or a field stretcher. He's more than that to me. And you're hearing that in camp. You're hearing yep. that he, he has a much more complete route tree than people thought. And Sky Moore, I think, has a bright future. But we see rookies usually don't come on until the second half of their rookie year. McCall uh, Hardman, I think we know what he is. He's a gadget player plus in my eyes. And Juju Smith-Schuster, he must feel like Andy Dufresne right now after playing with the the corpse of, uh, you know, coming out of the sewer and everything after playing with the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger yeah. um, and, and Mason Rudolph too, and being injured. And just that whole, his situation in Pittsburgh was a mess. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, but I want to see, I want to make sure he's not damaged goods. And, yeah. you know, I want to see him deliver and stay healthy. So my, my money's on MVS. I do want to talk about Justin Watson a little bit, because I think with, it's not going to happen, Josh Gordon. You know, I, I don't think he's going to make the team. I don't think Corey Coleman's going to make the team. And Justin Ross, he's out for the year. So I think this is the guy that can kind of replace Marcus Kemp. He's 6'2, 215, 4'4 speed. Uh, he was a great college player, played in a, at an Ivy League school, had like a 99% dominator rating, just incredible athlete. And he's been buried on maybe the best wide receiver depth chart in the NFL in Tampa Bay. There's no shame in not being able to crack the lineup when you're sitting behind Mike Evans, Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown. Right. So, and he's, he's a smart guy. He's a good locker room guy. He's a willing special teams player. It sounds like he's just as of this week that he's already got the edge on making the team over some of these other guys.
0: Yeah. And another sizable wide receiver, Um, really interesting stuff about MVS. We talked about it on the podcast a few weeks ago, Some interviews he gave where he talked about how the Chiefs weren't just treating him as a deep threat and they were using him in different ways. I did see some reports, I think today, out of a little, you know, he's still got some drops issues, it sounds like, in camp. Now, let's cut him some slack. He's learning Mahomes and new offense and all those things. So, you know, as long as he cleans it up by the season, it seems like it has been a little bit of a long term issue for him. But I'm going to go with Juju. I just think Juju Smith Schuster, and I love your Andy Dufresne reference. He crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. Um, and, you know, he, he made a big mistake probably going back to Pittsburgh last year and it cost him and he got injured. But now it's a benefit for the Chiefs because despite he's got the most – he's the most accomplished receiver other than Travis Kelsey um, of the receiving By group. far. By far. By far with what he has done in the past. Can he do it again? Was that a fluke? He was playing with Antonio Brown, you know, like – all of those things.
2: I don't think so, man. I think Juju's a really, he's so really young.
0: He's like 20. Is he like
2: 25? He's younger than Velas Jones, the wide receiver that the Bears drafted. That's how young he is.
0: <laughs> he's really, really young. And now he gets to play with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Remember, this is a team that Andy Reid took the Chiefs to the playoffs one year when their leading receiver was Jamal Charles. Think about that for a second. All the people predicting the Chiefs to be in, oh, they're going to be last place in the AFC West because everyone's so talented. Are you out of your mind? Like, it would take, if if there aren't catastrophic injuries or or something happens, this team is not going to finish last place in the AFC West. There's a very good chance they're going to win the AFC West again, despite an absolutely brutal schedule. And by the end of the year, we could be talking Super Bowl again. I am really excited about what the Chiefs did. There's a lot of unknowns, so I think that's scary for people. And the casuals in the media, they're not getting it. They're not looking. They're just like, oh, man, they lost Tyreek Hill. They didn't really add anybody impressive. They're not impressed by Juju Smith-Schuster. They're not impressed by a guy like MVS but they're not thinking about how all the pieces fit together with the whole. And all that matters is that they have two things, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And when you take those two things on offense and you put talented pieces around them, they're going to succeed. That's what great quarterbacks and great head coaches do.
2: Agreed. And now they're a little bit more injury proof. Before, if Ty- like last season, if Tyreek got hurt, they've been really fortunate in the playoffs because yep. they were in a situation where if he was out, their chances were finished. But now you can lose Juju. You have enough guys to pick it up. You can lose Sky Moore. You're a little bit more diversified.
0: Yeah. And they still have McCole Harbin. And I think, you know, look, and they also, what one thing I like about this team, boy, do they, they're like team chip on their shoulder. Thanks to Tyreek for talking a bunch of mess all off season to get you know Mahomes a little bit motivated. And you know, Mahomes, he's petty. Teddy Mahomes is a thing. He hears it. You got MVS coming, leaving leaving Green Bay, right? He wants to prove he can be even greater than he was. He's out of the shadow. Devontae Adams has a chance to be the number one guy now. Juju Smith-Schuster coming out of the river of shit from Pittsburgh. He wants to prove that his 1,400-yard season wasn't a fluke. McCole Hardman, yeah, oh, I've been playing behind Tyreek. This guy's a bust. He's not as good as everybody wanted him to be. I mean, and then you got Skymore, who's a rookie, who wants to prove himself in the league. So there's not a guy... In this Chiefs receiving core, other than the Travis Kelsey, that doesn't have a big chip on their shoulder with something to prove, and that's exciting.
2: Exactly. All right, let's. I'm excited uh, about it.
0: Yeah, so, so let's talk about Frank Clark. Let's shift gears to defense really quickly. I want to your I wanna know your thoughts. I want to know your thoughts on on Frank the Shark Clark. He stopped drinking. He changed his diet, cut out the red meat. He's in better shape. 10 pounds down, 10 pounds from last year. Do you think these his change in mindset, he's been there. He has been there every day with George Karloftis, talking to him, helping him out after camp. Do you think these changes will will help the still relatively young Frank Clark get back to a level that, that the Chiefs need him to be this season?
2: Unfortunately, no. I think he's dust. Wow. I, you know, my, my opinion on Frank Clark was that there was a lot of projecting, a lot of wish casting. He was always kind of a B-level player that they, in the draft capital and the salary that they utilized on him, they treated him like a franchise cornerstone. And he was just never capable of becoming that. And he's had a lot of injuries, a lot of off the field stuff. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Right now, to me, he's playing, other than a few games last year, uh, maybe middle of the season, he was a replacement level player. So, And I think the Chiefs signing Carlos Dunlap – tells you a little bit about where Frank is.
0: It's going to be fascinating. I mean, look, what works out best for the Chiefs is if Frank Clark can have a resurgence and get to, let's say, 10 sacks, he can get to double digits. And Carlos Dunlap brings you seven, eight sacks. And Chris Jones has a rebound year because of some of the extra help that he's getting. And then you get something out of George Karloftis. What do you expect out of Karloftis? How many sacks does he have when the season's over?
2: I don't think he's going to be a high sack guy probably ever, but he's going to be a Tambaha Lee type, high motor, uh, consistent, brings it every down, uh, good against the run, uh, just kind of a power player. So I don't think they have a superstar in Karloftis, but I think they have a solid starter for five, six, seven, eight years, hopefully, if we're lucky. I'm hoping he can pull out –
0: if he can pull out five or six sacks – you know, and coming in and in and, and the rotation, that would be fantastic news for the Chiefs. I'm really excited to get a look at everybody this preseason. Uh, let's talk about running back. So you already did a little bit. You talked about Ronald Jones, who I've been, I, I, I've been skeptical about whether or not he might make the team. Uh, I'm a big Derek Gore guy really like what I saw out of him because of his big playability. But maybe to, to your point, if you get a guy like Ronald Jones in there, who maybe is a little bit more talented than Gore, he can do the same things to take advantage of the same things that Derek Gore was able to a couple of times last year with that straight ahead running. How do you think this group shakes out? Do you
2: believe in CEH at all? I do not believe in CEH. And the better that Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow play, the less faith I have in him. Uh, a lot of Chiefs fans will remember Ryan Sims, who played next mm-hmm. to Julius Peppers. And you have to be really, really careful about someone who's surrounded by that kind of talent. I, I'm worried he might have been a complete mirage. I mean, we're talking about maybe the most two talented receivers of this generation clearing out space for him. And Terrence Marshall was no slouch either. And I, I like the fifth weapon in that offense was Randy Moss's kid. Are you kidding me? So yeah. I, I don't have a lot of faith in him. I have less faith in his ability to stay healthy and ronald jones needed a change of scenery he was in a doghouse with both arians and brady he's had fumbling problems he's had pass pro problems and if he can clean that up and just be a adequate receiver out of the backfield he is such a good straight ahead uh runner with tackle breaking ability that he adds another element to this offense so I would expect him to be the leading rusher by season's end. I don't think at Jarek McKinnon's age, we can expect much from him. I'm really bummed for that guy because I think in a different multiverse, right, where he stays healthy and replaces Adrian Peterson or stays healthy in San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan, he's an all pro level back. But I don't think he's got that much juice left anymore. And I also think he can't stay on the field. So what are you going to do? Not, not play the guy all season and save him for the playoffs? I think he wants some continuity. And, and Pacheco is apparently returning kicks, right? So I think that's how he might displace Derek Gore in the depth chart.
0: Yeah, that's bad news for Derek Gore for sure. And it could be bad news if they do like Derek Gore. It could be bad news for either Ronald Jones Or Jarek McKinnon. Remember, we all love Jarek McKinnon, the way he played last year, his blocking, played really hard. But the Chiefs took their awful sweet time bringing him back. They were in no rush to go back and make sure they brought back Jet McKinnon. That should tell us something. It doesn't mean he won't make the team, but it should tell us something about where the Chiefs' priorities were. They went and they signed Ronald Jones. They waited to bring back Jarek McKinnon. So we'll see how it all plays out. Pacheco... Really interesting. I mean, really interesting. Some of the things that you're hearing out of camp, catching the ball out of the backfield, uh, in in some interviews before the draft, Brett Veach talked about how he thought there was a lot of athleticism in the running back class and a lot of late round athleticism that was being undervalued. So he waited and he waited and he bided his time, and he, he got maybe his guy. We'll have to see how it all plays out when it's all said it and did. done. If if who do you think? makes the roster. Do you think all four of those guys will be, do you think they'll keep four and go,
2: I guess it would be five if you count Burton? I do think they'll keep four. Uh, I think Gore is the odd man out. And Pacheco has a lot of heat in the, I don't want to say a lot of heat, but he's starting to get considerate heat in the fantasy space. And it reminds me of Elijah Mitchell, how people were feeling about Elijah Mitchell this mm. time last year. Yeah. So I, I think he's he's a sleeper. And in my opinion, Rojo is going to be the guy by season's end.
0: That'll be really fascinating if it is. I think, I mean, it's very possible that you're right. And it's who's going to be in there on third downs. Is it McKinnon? Who's going to be doing those pass catching downs, which are not a a strength of Rojo. I wouldn't be surprised if we just see a straight up rotation. Uh, Who's got the hot hand CEH, Ronald Jones on first and second down. And on third down, they're bringing in Jarek McKinnon and Pacheco uh, and a rotation there as well. We'll have to see not. I don't like that for my my uh, fresh princes of Hilaire fantasy team that I may have to rename here coming up in a few few weeks. You're going to have to rename it.
2: It's going to be a platoon. I I think there's no way that this is not a platoon.
0: Yeah, it's it's I I don't have a lot of of faith, but I don't want to let you know what I'm planning to do to do with my keepers. So um, angry, drunken German says uh, I'll bet Adam a future Hawaiian shirt. On that Rojo predict- prediction, so our our our, our pal Angry junk, drunken German, who has probably the best name uh, of our of our followers, wants to wants one. to bet
2: you wants to bet you on this one. I'll have to think about that. I'm not that confident in Rojo. It's more about the other guys than Ronald Jones. And also with this line going from uh, a little bit more technical to a little bit more of a Mahler unit, I think he's yeah. particularly well suited to run behind this line. So that's part of the prediction is how good this this line is going to be in terms of the running game. Yeah, they
0: need somebody who can just hit the holes, and I do think CEH dances a little bit back there too much and, and misses them. AC says, not sure if you brought this up, but do you think they'll be keeping Burton as a fullback? Yeah, absolutely. He'll, he'll be on the team, Andy likes to use a fullback. He likes to have that blocking tight end, so we'll have to see how it goes. You know, Derek, Orr, I think he's still got practice squad eligibility, so he would probably end up there. Keep um, him around. especially Yeah, especially if Pacheco is is returning you know, punts and, and doing special teams. All right, Adam, I got to ask you. The Chiefs have a brutal schedule. Absolutely. I mean, every time I go back and look at it, I'm like, God damn. Like, I know these teams got to play the Chiefs too, but it is a rough one. AFC is absolutely loaded. The AFC West is absolutely loaded. What is your
2: early record prediction? And do you think the Chiefs can make it back to the Super Bowl? Death, taxes, and the Chiefs winning 12 games. That's what it is. They're going to win 12 games. Andy and Patrick give you a 10-game floor And I think a lot would have to go wrong for them not to get to 11 or 12 wins. Uh, I'm, I think both the Raiders and the Broncos are a little overrated. They've got new head coaches. Russell Wilson is going to have to get integrated into Denver and playing with all those guys. He had, he's been a little shaky the last year and a half. So the team that really worries me is Justin Herbert and the chargers. And if we can take care of business with them, it's possible, but I don't think we're going back to the Super Bowl this year. I think this is a transitional year for us. And the way Veach looks at it, in my opinion, is we have a lot of teams going all in. Buffalo with Von Miller. Cleveland with the crazy stuff they're doing with Watson. Denver, the list goes on and on. If they don't win in the next two years, a lot of these teams are screwed. And what the Chiefs are doing is saying, we want a 10-year window, not a two-year window. Because look at the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Cincinnati Bengals the last two years. They were the luckiest teams of football. They were healthy, they had good schedules, and a lot of making the Super Bowl is just how things shake out with health, the schedule. So extending the timeline, I think, is the best long-term play, but it might not, it might not end at a Super Bowl this year, especially when you have like Burrow and Herbert and Jackson on rookie contracts and a lot of talent around them. The Bills are just absolutely stacked. And you know, there's been a talent migration from the NFC to the AFC. So it's just an absolute gauntlet. And they definitely can make it out of it. I, I just think their odds are a little lower than they've been in the previous seasons.
0: I think that's a fair point. I think it really comes down to the defense. Does the defense grow up fast enough to give the Chiefs offense the edge that it needs? Because like from an offensive firepower standpoint, the rest of the AFC has caught up. You know, uh, Buffalo has caught up. The Bengals have an incredible receiving core. These teams can go blow for blow with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The question is, can the Chiefs defense slow them down enough? And that's why you saw the difference between the Bills two years ago when the Chiefs beat them in the AFC Championship game and the Bills last year in the divisional round. They won by a whisker. Probably should have lost if the Bills defense of coordinator knew what the hell they were doing at the end of that game. So... You i know. got a hot take
2: about that game, by the way. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Think about when Gabriel Davis and the Bills really started going off. What happened? The Honey Badger went out. And the communication on the back end was atrocious. Those yeah. guys look lost to the point where um, homeboy from Minnesota was tripping over his feet and falling down. I'm blanking on his name. I, I think I've done the men in black thing to, to myself to forget about that, <laughs> that, that guy and that trade and that play. But the defense was also slow. And I think their team speed on defense has been upgraded considerably. And they just, is it just me or do they look slow at the end of the year? Yeah. They, it, I mean, it was
0: tough because they were going up against the Bills and that was just like a really hard team to stop. And then of course they're doing. but like we saw that during the season with the Bengals, like Jamar Chase is incredibly talented, but he was just smoking them all over the place he got the ball in space. Goodbye. Forget it. And they've gotten
2: meaner. You know, he was mossing people. They were, uh, yeah. Ward, Ward was in position a number of times yes. and just helpless. Jamar Chase yeah. was just going over the top and yeah, how do you these stop guys it are talented.
0: Guy? And that's why I think the chiefs defense is the key this year. Can they make the jump or a similar jump to the, the, the way that Bill's defense, they had to, we had a better on defense and it might not happen this year. They might need, another off season to get it where it needs to be and to get this new look offense cooking. But I hope not, man. I hope it comes together and they, they manage to get themselves that one or that two seed and they just got
2: to win a couple games. That's all. It will come together, I think. Spags, the pattern has been the defense looks horrid in the first half of the season and then gradually game by game gets better. And by the time the playoffs roll around, they're usually in sync and a pretty good unit.
0: I think what's going to help them this year is this new offensive philosophy is going to be I think we're going to see a lot of 12 Long play, 13 play drives and it's going to it's going to it's going to help them Pats going to get even more patient and they're just they're going to frustrate teams they're going to start going crazy and then they're going to start getting their big plays and I think it's going to help the defense particularly early, early in the season when they may still be coming together I think the Chiefs will just be really really efficient the thing with some of those big plays that would kind of bite them in the ass sometimes is they take those shots, and they're, they're lower percentage shots. Higher percentage for a team like the Chiefs, but they're lower percentage. And so they'd run into these like these situations where like they'd go three and out because like you know they run the ball once, they take a couple shots. Um, I don't think we're going to see that this year. I think they're going to see a lot more ball control for them, a lot more time of possession. I think it's going to help their defense tremendously.
2: We'll see. I'm going to miss those shootouts, though, that Rams... Monday night game from four years ago, uh, and then the Bills game last year. I think those are the two most exciting games I've ever seen in my entire life. And yeah. we're in the golden era of Chiefs football. I, I think it's never going to get as good as it is now. I try to m- remind myself that.
0: I don't think so, man. Every every year with Mahomes and Andy Reid is a is a gift. So enjoy it. Make sure if you want to go to. You, you know, you want to get to Arrowhead. You never know when stuff like this will come to an end. So if you've been waiting to go to Arrowhead and to experience Patrick Mahomes live, you know, I'm a Cavs fan. I've never seen LeBron play live. I just never I just never got around to it, right? So um, th- I, that's a big regret that I have, that I never saw him play live and in person for the Cavs, if you guys are NBA fans. So take advantage of this golden era. And and, and speaking of golden eras, is this a new golden era for Arrowhead Attic? Are we going to be able to get you back a little bit more often to talk Chiefs with
2: us? Yeah. I'm still an addict. I'd love it. I love talking chiefs. You know, my dad and I almost every day have some of the same conversations, but we're just obsessing over Frank Clark or Orlando Brown. That's been the saga lately. So anytime, man, anytime.
0: We'd love to have you. Uh, It's awesome having you back in the fold. Uh, Your, your, your brother who you started fan sided with and started Arrowhead addict with is still here at the company. He's still, he's still my boss. Uh, if you could put in a word for me, because I know he doesn't listen to the show, you know, hey, tell him how good of a job I'm doing. Tell him to give me a little bit of a, a little bit of a raise. You know, just give him a little give him a little nudge for me. I'd appreciate it. He's pretty sharp, but I'll try to do a little Jedi, Jedi mind trick on him. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, well, thank you so much, Adam, for for joining us. And thanks to all of you, the Arrowhead addicts who support this show throughout the off season. Look, man, it, we're here. There's football tonight. I know it's the Hall of Fame game. Uh, and it's going to be you know a bunch of scrubs out there for most of it, and it's the Raiders and the Jaguars, so not, does it really qualify as a football game? I don't know, but at least the NFL will be back on your TVs tonight, and, uh, and, and once it's just the opener, man, from here. The preseason games start, and uh, we're going to get a, a look at what the Chiefs have been working on, see some of these young guys, and make sure, I'm saying this every show now, light your candles, go to confession, do whatever it is you need to do to put good karma out there so that the chiefs don't have any crazy fluke injuries. I want to see this whole team hit the, hit the turf, um, next, uh, uh in September here. And I want to see them in their entirety. Um, yeah. Hall of Fame game is tonight. Angry junk German. So, um, open up a KC beer and join us. I'll be on Twitter watching, uh, watching the game. So, uh, Hit me up. If you're interested in joining the Arrowhead Attic Podcast, check out the link in the description. Check out the link in the description and buy Rise of the Black Quarterback by Jason Reed. That was an awesome interview. I had so much fun, and maybe we'll have him back this season to talk Chiefs as well. I know we're going to have Adam Best back. Uh, we got to get out of here. We're at the hour mark. I got, I got guys doing drywall in my house. I got to see what's going on. So um, appreciate y'all's support. As always, go Chiefs.